Lord, thank you for this moment. This is your moment with your people. I pray you'd help me to communicate what's here and that your sweet grace would drive us to Jesus more deeply. Pray that you'd help us to be attentive and thoughtful and and to and to say to you, lead me, Lord. Impact me. Change me. Help us to receive this by faith. And help us to live in faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the, the Apostle Paul is um, often thought of as kind of an armor-plated individual. We, we see his brilliance. He's tough. He's brave. He goes into <clears throat> cross-cultural missions. He is a Jew by birth. And yet he's called to work with non-Jews. He's been called mightily and powerfully by God to serve the gospel purposes. He is a remarkable theologian. Uh, his letters are uh, fantastic. Romans is perhaps one of his most famous ones. It's <clears throat> if you like to outline things. Uh, the book of Romans is very much given to outlining. Very systematic, if you like, one thought following another. Romans, great place. Now, 2 Corinthians is very different. It's a letter. We believe that God uses the personality of the author, inspires them. The process of inspiration is somewhat of a mystery to us. We receive God's word as it is. God breathed, God breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. And here we have a passage where Paul just is writing like, almost like you and I would write as a letter. We say, oh man, it was so great seeing Titus. It was so fantastic. His spirit was lifted. You made a great impact on him. Just, just writing and encouraging. And now he's going to go to another subject and he moves along from subject to subject. What's happening here? is Paul has said a number of times, it's like he's preaching to himself, already up through chapter 7, he has said, therefore we do not lose heart. And I'm convinced at times he was very close to, to losing heart. Therefore we don't lose heart. And so as he's thinking about people, he is practicing faith, working through love, Galatians 5, 6. Very important verse. If you were to encounter the Apostle Paul and you revealed to him your struggles, I believe he would communicate to you faith working through love. He would not give up on you. I hope you sense that uh, from me. I hope you sense that from your elders here. I hope the vibe of our church is we don't give up on people. Faith works through love. And I think that there were many times when Paul... Paul got close to losing heart. Read, read chapter 1 again where he says that he even despaired of life. He, he was human after all. Now what's happened at Corinth is there's been an immor immorality, uh, an incestuous situation that the Corinthians just put up with. They also put up with divisions, disorder with the Lord's table. They, it was just, it's kind of nicknamed a troubled church. Paul sends Titus there. Titus is a, a Greek, and Titus comes, and he 
can connect with the Corinthians. They're Greek. And Titus, perhaps, I would think he's apprehensive. He's, he's finding his way to Corinth. It takes a long time to travel in those, those days. It's hard to find people when they, when they leave you. And he found Paul after he'd visited the Corinthians. And he reports to, the, to Paul and his traveling band of merry men. Uh, he reports to Paul, Paul, you were right. You were right. These people, these people can change their hearts about themselves. These people can repent, and it's real and sincere and earnest. They have a new awareness of their need for grace. Look at verse 13. His spirit has been refreshed by you all. Oh, have you ever been around a defensive person? An excuse-making person? Uh, When I get that way, I'm not really fun to be around. The Corinthians were free. They acknowledged their sin. They found that they were justified in Jesus. Their performance didn't define them as a Christian. Jesus is what makes them beautiful. And they, they felt free. They shook off their guilty fears. And they, and they confessed. And they interacted with Titus. And it was sweet. And it bolstered Titus's sense of, of goodness. It's, by the way, those in spiritual leadership, um, they don't want to be, you know... Debbie Downer. They don't like being the messenger of bad news. They don't want, they want someone to, yeah, repent, acknowledge your sin. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not going to destroy you. I've been trying to present to you that repentance is a change of mind, and it's not the worst thing in the world that could happen to you. Meaning, we shouldn't be thinking of it as sort of episodic. Oh, yeah, I remember five years ago, I really messed up, and I had to go and... Conf- yeah, and I want you to repent before 12 o'clock. And then before 3 o'clock. And then all the day, the day is still young. Meaning that this should be something of the way we walk as Christians. Uh, left foot, faith. Right foot, repentance. Left foot, faith. Right, see, in other words, God's working deeper in your heart than you really want Him to. He's exposing more about your heart than you really want Him to. Has anyone here ever prayed, Oh Lord, reveal the truth about me? Anyone? I want to meet you. You are. You're a Marine of the spiritual army or force air force or military. You're you're amazing. Have you ever said, oh, Lord, I'm unafraid to explore the depths of my depravity? I'm petrified of that. I don't want to do that. I wonder how committed God is for you to know how beautiful Jesus is. What a great, shining, fantastic, glorious, magnificent Savior you've got. And if you've got just little domestic sins, you've got a little domestic savior, a little casual, you know, a little little foie pas. If you've got radical sin like lack of love, lack of love for the lost, lack of love for your spouse, 
lack of love for your elders, lack of love. It goes on and on, by the way. I'll stop. You see, you're going to learn, if you, if you were to even take a, a study of the one another's of Scripture, I thought there were about 20. I came across a list. There were 50 of them. Overwhelming. Take the, take the one another's, what you owe one another, and if you were to drive repentance into your heart, rep- drive it deeper into your heart, oh, Lord, I can see that I, I have racism here. Oh, I have superiority based upon my rank. Oh, I have, I have, and you could drive it in there where you sense some way you're aloof towards someone else. You lack love. Brothers and sisters, God has, a, he's committed to you, and he wants to, the Savior, his Savior, our Father, who sent this marvelous Savior to, to shine in your hearts where you would be brave and say, yes, this is, this is the one that Jesus came for. They resisted spiritual authority in Corinth, and they have now turned their minds around on that. Verse 13, at the joy of Titus, you're seeing a spiritual leader happy, or are they always morose? Have you ever seen a spiritual leader happy? You know, Titus was happy because they had repented. They turned around. And the sense of the verb uh, here uh, is that he was refreshed, refreshed, and it's continuous. It keeps on going. Look at verse 14. His affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. That's another word for respect. You in the military, I think you can relate to this. You have inspections all the time. Uh, I'm thinking that the first, when you got through one of those, you said, boy, I'm glad that's over. You were young at this, right? Only to realize that your life in the military includes these all the time. And then you in some way embraced it, and you sort of, as you got mature, you you saw the, the value of it. And then you had to convince your coworkers uh, of the value of it. Maybe your... Your, your rank helps them understand the value of it. So you are not trying to get inspections off your back. You see the value of them, and perhaps you even want them. Let's be brave. Lord, show me my heart. And by the way, you have the, the Word of God as a mirror to you. We often use other people as the mirror. Well, look, look at that. Look at how they love and fail to love. I must be a good lover. <laughs> Look at Scripture and what it calls you to do and, to, and who to love. Titus picks up on something, and it is not subtle. It is obvious. They want authority over them. They want authority over them. I always remember this young man who came, I was here on a Saturday and all of a sudden a pickup truck pulls up and the man introduces himself and uh, he says I was just double checking the directions uh, I'll be here tomorrow at church now, now that that's 
That's pretty cool. So, in walks on, that was my first introduction to a guy named Bo Powers. Bo Powers was a young, single Coast Guard guy. And uh, he noticed a young woman in our church. And he approached me after about three or four months, and he said, well, the way I was raised is that if you were interested in a young girl in the church, you had to ask permission of the elders. So, well, I'm a long way from home, and I would like your permission to date this girl. How about that? So... um, he, uh, he dated, and uh, they got married, and, uh, and they have five kids now, and, um, and uh, I'm sorry, I blank on her name, I'm sorry, Malia, thank you, kept thinking of em- em- Emily, I'm sorry, Malia, and uh, this is, there's a man who wanted to be held accountable for his behavior, and he sought out authority to help him. All of us are recovering from an autonomous spirit. The Greek word auto means oneself. Um, can be itself, but uh, an automatic dishwater, dishwasher or an automatic something, right? It comes on by itself, right? An autocratic leader is not a team player. And if you add the word namas, which is the Greek word for law, autonamos, that means that I am a law by myself. We are by nature autonomous. I myself, I am my law. I am not going to go to the place of need. I am autonomous, and within myself is all I need. This is our cultural moment, by the way. We live in an autonomous culture. Man, clenched fist, essentially, in the garden, said, I need to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Not really. We can live on our own. We don't need divine revelation to be human beings. Yeah, I guess that's the tree we're not supposed to eat of, and it symbolizes our relationship with God and our dependence and to not be autonomous. But actually, autonomy is probably the way we can flourish and find ourselves. So we live in a culture that is autonomously trying to find oneself, and we have all kinds of confusion. Francis Schaeffer rightly said that there are three aspects of our problem. He said that we have become alienated from God, we've become alienated from each other, and we've become alienated from ourselves. And the core of this is autonomy. The Corinthians have turned around by God's grace. They've begun to repent. Now let me address the core question or statement of our sermon. What is it to 
have the spirit of expectancy in our relationships. Do you see the title there on your sermon page? Let me address that. The spirit of expectancy. The spirit of expectancy is where we go to a certain place and by God's grace, we are met there with grace. The spirit of expectancy is this. We go to the humble place and at that place where we're humbled, we wait to be empowered by his grace. The, the spirit of expectancy sounds like this. Take someone who feels spiritually poor. They don't have it together. They feel like they've broken so much of God's laws, so many of God's laws. And they feel like, well, I would never, ever be accepted by God because I'm just, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, right? Now, those kinds of people found themselves moving toward Jesus, and one day on a hill, he spoke to them. And his first words, the most famous sermon that was ever uttered, started off with these words. It says, blessed are you, you, you who are the poor in spirit. That's where he starts. Now, that's a strange thing. How could a person be blessed to be spiritually bankrupt? Well, they've gone to the place of emptiness. They've, em- they've been emptied of their superiority, and they're at the place of waiting. If I'm going to be in heaven, someone's got to tell me I'm in heaven because I can't earn it. If I'm ever going to uh, walk into the presence of my God, uh, well, God's got to fix this. And so they are poor in spirit because they don't have the ability in their autonomous selves to fix it. Now, here's the expectancy. Jesus doesn't leave them there. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's happening here in this passage is that Paul is rejoicing, verse 16, rejoicing because he has complete confidence in them, meaning you went to the humble place. You went to the place where you denied your Greek superiority, if they were thinking that. You went to the humble place where you acknowledged your autonomous spirit. You went to the humble place and I have absolute confidence in you. And God, Paul is communicating expectancy, meaning salvation is yours because you went to the humble place. What does God give the poor in spirit? He gives them something to expect. The kingdom of God. When you experience both the humbling part and the expectancy part, the promise, you are different relationally. You come alive. God did something remarkable. He met you at the humble place, and you didn't think he could accept you, and he does through Jesus. And now from this acceptance, you now can begin to love others with the love that you've received. You have been met 
and now you are flourishing, beginning to flourish, and recover your humanity. The Corinthians experienced a humbling. They tolerated divisions, disorder, and sexual immorality, and they now are turning away from it. They were in spiritual danger. A spirit of expectancy broke through by God's grace. Throughout all of this, Paul has resisted looking at the Corinthians according to his own flesh. Oh, those Greeks. They're always. You never hear that from him. He has a spirit of expectancy. In our relationships, we, we need to have a, a spirit of expectancy. That means that we go to the humble place. I believe that God will be active in my life if I go to the humble place. Isaiah 57 says this, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. Where does God dwell? He dwells with those who have a bruised spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is passionately committed in the gospel to revive and renew your heart. What we, what we resist is going to the place where we will be revived. The place is the humble place. Relationally, Paul was for them and he knew that if they were to go by God's grace to the humble place, they would be re- revived. Verse 14, our boasting before Titus has proven true. Paul walked among the Corinthians. He sensed their vibe. And when the truth of God got into their hearts, Paul saw it. He saw it. And he stayed with them. Stayed with them. Ray Ortland Jr. is a pastor in Tennessee, He writes this, he says, Some churches who have gospel doctrine but not gospel culture might have difficulty stepping down into that low place of blessing. Some churches feel too successful, too significant. Listen to that. Such a church might already be in a death spiral. But other churches are open. Here's what they can expect. Luke 1 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Spirit of expectancy, oh Lord, help me not be ashamed of my hunger, my need, what's been revealed to me. Lord, you will meet me at that humble place. And then Ray Ortland Jr. says this, hear this, pastor. May all our churches fail often enough. Obviously enough. Painfully enough to stay hungry and poor before the Lord. Are you hearing that? Where does God dwell, according to Isaiah 57? I who dwell in a high and lofty place also dwell with those who are of contrite spirit. The first words of our Lord on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. And 
Do you remember your awareness of that poverty of spirit? Do you remember hearing, sensing the need to know Jesus receives you when you have nothing to offer him? Do you remember that day? Experience that again today. He has filled with the hungry with good things and the rich he has turned away. This is a relationally rich passage where we, re- we, we realize that Paul had always been operating toward the Corinthians in what he says to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. It's vitally important that in our marriages, faith is working through love. We're believing for each other. We have an expectancy toward each other. God's at work in this brother. God's at work in this sister. God is at work. The Spirit of God is dwelling among us. We are not our fleshliness. We are not our Christian performance. We are not our failure in this or that assignment. Yes, those are important. Yes, perhaps someone needs to be addressed and talked to about something specific and something significant. But we, we also speak with a spirit of expectance. We want their heart revived. We want our heart revived. And when, and when Titus comes back, he embodies the joy of a leader who's seen repentance get traction in the Corinthians. There's more to be revealed about their need, but Paul's rejoicing deeply in them. Brothers and sisters, think on this, and then I'll wrap this up. Jesus gave his life that we would be revived, that we would be given a life-giving spirit within us. He suffered and died in this, like a, like a wilderness desolation, relationally a desolated place on the cross. And he, he gave himself such that you would have full atonement and that you could interact with people with a clear conscience and love them, and pursue them, and help them. The purposes of God's grace are massive and beautiful and great, and they are at work here. As we pursue the place of expectation, the place of humility, and God says, I'll be there. Let's pray. Our Father, the one who preaches is probably the most prideful person in this room. And Father, I pray that you'd help me come to the humble place regularly, daily. Revive me. Revive my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to say, yes, I am poor in spirit. But I have a Savior who's given me the kingdom. Lord, help us to boast 
about each other like Paul boasted to Titus about the Corinthians, the Corinthians of all people. He doesn't write them off, Lord. Father, we confess our fleshliness toward each other. Lord, revive your people today. Feed us now, Lord, in the Lord's Supper. We love you. We thank you for the word of God. In in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Let's stand. A beautiful, very earthly document.